to Ace Chronicles episode 120, and would you believe it, we have a full house this time. Full house? Yeah, Ray's back. Hi everyone. Yes, um, so it's, uh, it's all three of us this time, and a um, bit of a light episode this year, this time, not got an awful lot to discuss, but we've got two comics we can get pretty deep into, alongside a couple of items of newsy stuff that I wanted to go through. Um, first of all, uh, I made a Halloween playlist, <laughs> so um, you can check that out over on Spotify. I made a playlist of um, some cool stuff Halloween this year. Yeah, I, I, I've done this a couple of times now, so this is like, this is my thing now. So this one is called Afterlife Comicals 3, Salem's Curse. So Afterlife Comicals 3, Salem's Curse. And you can check this out on Spotify. And uh, it's just a big old list of stuff that I like listening to. A lot of it this time actually is electronic music, which I've surprised myself with. We've got stuff like um, Hexencraft, Deaders, Ghost, like all kinds of stuff like that. Hollywood Burns, Judge Bitch. Um, <laughs> alongside like some of my usual stuff, which is, you know, Misfits, Blitz Kid. AFI that kind of stuff so it's like a real mix but you can you can check that out and there's like a good four hours of music on there so <laughs> go take a look if that's your thing if you need someone to DJ your Halloween party because we can have Halloween parties this year how cool is that yeah if you need someone to DJ your Halloween party uh, just go <laughs> and this is this this looks like it or sounds like it might be up your alley use this um because yeah I, I think it's pretty cool, and I think so it make for a pretty pretty banging party myself. But yeah. what's the criteria that gets a song into the the Greg Halloween playlist? Um, it has to have a like a, a decent. So I was going for like it depends on on what I'm theming it around. Like the last one I did was like creature feature type stuff. So mm. I was going for kind of like punk rocky. Um, Stuff like the Cramps, where it's like it tells a story and it's punk rocky and it's kind of like a little bit tongue in cheek, a bit psycho Billy, that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of like yeah. it has that that fifties rock and roll kind of doo wop kind of thing going on in the background, as well as being a punk song sort of thing. So I was going for that sort of stuff, like you know, the driving and whatever, um, like driving movie type thing. Um, but for this one, I've gone for more kind of like cursed nightclub. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, everything in here is basically like witchy nightclub shit. So it's all kind of like electronic music, um, dreadwave, that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, um, you can... You can dance to this while drinking some kind of weird brew that keeps you up <laughs> all hours of the night. But yeah. I feel like that leads in really well to one of the things you wanted to talk about because it sounds it sounds very inspired by the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like, am I, so, am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> less less so, but yeah, um, yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is the fact that Chilling Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is back. So um, some of you might know that the book. Um, was it, it went on hiatus. Um, we've discussed it on one of our previous Halloween episodes. We're talking about the um, the Aguirre Sarcasa and Robert Hack Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, which is like it's kind of like a big thing for us. We 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 really like that book. 
Um, it's just a shame that it the story got so far and then stopped and then we didn't get any more of it. But actually, it's coming back. And um, next week, October 13th. So when this episode is live, you will be able to buy the next issue because apparently it's coming back again. So it's off hiatus. Um, and there's some pretty nice covers floating about and stuff like that. So... You can check those out if you go find... I mean, I found a CBR article, but you can find them um, probably just like hanging about on previews, websites and stuff. But um, yeah, it's looking good. I've uh, got some Aguirre Sacasa covers for it there. Um, Aguirre Sacasa, sorry, Robert Hack covers even. Robert Hack's the artist. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's um, it's that classic style um, that, we, that we love. That sort of like... That thing Robert Hack does where he gets it to look retro without it being retro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've dumped the covers into the general chat if you guys want to have a quick look at them as well, if you can see them. Yeah, um, they're gorgeous. Yeah, because it's got that yeah. really nice um, kind of like semi-retro feel to mm. it. Um, and it just has that, that air of like sort of 70s, late 60s, early 70s horror comics. Um, which I really, really dig. Um, and uh, one of them even has it's a speech bubble on there. Sabrina is watching what looks like a black and white creature movie on TV with what looks like it stars Archie. It looks like it stars Archie. And she might actually, it might actually be like a pastiche thing. She might be watching Afterlife with Archie. Um, mm. But then uh, she's like, sorry, I've been, I've been away to, sorry, I've been away so long. Did you miss me? Yes, we did, Sabrina. We're glad you're back, and we're glad that your spooky <laughs> stories are back on. Um, alongside that, Archie, Archie Comics are doing uh, another thing. They're, they're relaunching um, Chilling Adventures in Sorcery for Halloween. So um, this is going to be like an anthology-type um, deal, and they did like a, a Madam Satan one-shot, uh, which was like a Halloween book, a Halloween anthology. And I think this is kind of like spinning out of that. Um, again, I found some covers hanging about on a CBR article, um, but there's some pretty cool, uh, pretty cool covers going around for that. Um, there's a really, really nice, um, really nice Frank Avila cover actually, which I really, really like, uh, which is Madam Satan, uh, hands covered in blood, red background, skulls, skeletons. It just looks, it just, it just oozes Halloween and just looks like a poster from a Halloween show. So yeah, I'm, uh. I'm totally 100% in for that. That's going to be awesome. And it has that, again, it has that retro horror comic style, which is the kind of thing I crave, which a lot of people are going for these days. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I've actually got an anthology type thing, uh, trade of um, Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, which I've got like some of the older ones. Um, so it was first published, Chilling Adventures in Sorcery as Told by Sabrina is what it was first called. And then by the third issue, it was just renamed and published under Red Circle Comics. So it was Chilling Adventures in Sorcery as Told by Sabrina. And then I think by the third issue, um, it was uh, just um, Chilling Adventures in Sorcery. And it was on the uh, the Red Circle Comics imprint for Archie Comics, which is where they used to publish the more adult stuff. So it started out a little more tame and then it got a bit more hardcore and then it got to issue six um, and then it was renamed um, 
Red Circle Sorcery, and then it got to, and then it got as far as an eleventh issue in February nineteen seventy five, and that was the end of it. And now they appear to be relaunching it again uh, with a new number one as this horror anthology thing, which uh, I feel pretty good about. So uh, if I were you, I'd go check that out because I'm excited. <laughs> um, and that will be available um, November third. So you can get Chilling Adventures in Sorcery number one, November 3rd. You should be able to pick that up from your LCS or digitally or however you do things. Um, yeah, uh, last order of business that I wanted to bring up is the fact that um, I just wanted to just let you guys know that we're doing, I give you guys a heads up that when the Eternals movie drops, the MCU Eternals movie, which we're all pretty hyped for, uh, we're doing another crossover with the Mayamada guys. So um, we've uh, we've organized it. So I'm going to make them read some... Um, some late seventies comics by Jack Kirby, and then I'm and then we're going to watch the film, and I'm going to discuss the film on their cast. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, so we'll be um, we'll be discussing um, Jack Kirby's Eternals issues one to eleven. So like the first half of the Jack Kirby um, it, genesis of the Eternals, basically, uh, where it begins in the Marvel universe. So that should be good fun, actually, because I've read these myself, but it'll be nice to actually read them and have a discussion with someone other than me in the mirror. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, you're going to you're going to be present for these as well, Liam, right? You're on the Eternals movie cast and you're also so it'd be nice to hear your thoughts, actually, and how they match up. And um, I know you're a Kirby stan as well. So, yeah, but like it's I'm, great because I'm a, I'm a Kirby stan, but. The Eternals is uh, quite a big blank spot for me, Marvel-wise, as a whole. Yeah, um, the comics are good fun. You'll enjoy it, I think. It's that classic, classic Kirby. It's like um, it's like New Gods, but with a Marvel label. Yeah, I, I, so, I assume so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Get that's, yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. We talked about issue number one of like the new run of that, right? Like a few yeah. months ago? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a good start. Um, yeah, I need to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, check out some of the older stuff, Ray, as well, if you've got the patience for it. Yeah, I'm going to have to, like, because uh, I'm, I'm, I, obviously I want to listen in on what yeah. you guys talk about, so I, I'd like the context. Yeah, there's a Neil Gaiman uh, Eternal series as well. So he oh, did some Eternal okay. stuff, so if you're looking for other stuff as well, there's Neil Gaiman Eternals, um, which is also very good. Um, on top of that, the last thing that I wanted to tell you guys is that um, I picked one up, but they're available for order now. Uh, Dan McDade, the guest that we had on the show uh, a couple episodes ago to discuss his book, Dega, has released his sketchbook. So you can buy his 2021 sketchbook um, available at danmcdade.bigcocktail.com. I picked myself one up. Um, it's really cool. It's a nice little booklet to have. And it's um, it's basically just like his best sketches from the sketch tier he was selling for Dega. So when you when you bought Dega from his website, if you bought the deluxe pack, you could um, commission a sketch. Um, and this is basically a book of all of those sketches. Uh, and then on well, f the best ones, forty eight of the best ones. And then uh, he's got a um, you get I, I you get like a little postcard print of um, the the Batman Biff Pow sketch that he did, which is Batman. Um, sort of like Duke's up boxing stance uh, with Biff Powell um, knuckle dusters on. 
and it's uh, Adam West looking Batman as well, which is just adds to the fun. So yeah, yeah. that's pretty this cool. This is this is awesome. I just found it on his Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, check check that out and um, take a look at the sketchbook. It's pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, that's that's about it. Um, that's that's everything in my my little news roundup that I wanted to discuss. Uh, has anyone got anything to add to that? Anyone been watching anything that they? I do have something like... to add. Yes, because you said you had something to add regarding our. Oh, he's uh, going to make me do it. He's <laughs> yeah. going to make me do it. He's going to make me rescind my comments about Midnight Mass. Bend the knee, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to bend the knee. Yeah, no. Um, I take back what I said about Midnight Mass being the weakest of the the three um, Flanagan projects on uh, the previous cast because I just I just absolutely have to because it's totally not the weakest one. <laughs> In fact, it's probably the best one for me so far. Um, oh my God, I love it so much. Yeah. And I, I can't <laughs> tell you why. I can't tell you why I love it this much. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Really since, since like last time, I was like, yeah, I quite like it and I, I hope it like doesn't fall like a foul of um, some of the normal sort of flanaganisms that you can get. And for me... It like it perfectly nailed the landing and everything. Like uh, I had a really great time with it. So I'm more high on it than I was last episode. Uh, when are we going yeah, to spoil this thing? When are we going to like sit here for two hours and break it down? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I want it as a graphic novel. Can you imagine how sick it would be as a graphic novel? Yeah, I, I kind of thought that at times actually while watching it. It's just certain scenes in it. In fact, there's one scene in particular that I mapped out as a page in my head. Like, I actually mapped it out. I looked, I was watching it and I was like, okay, so that would be this many panels and this would happen and then this would be a full page splash. Um, in fact, it probably ran over two or three pages when I was finished. But so just you announcing like a... what you're doing in the last week of October for Inktober? <laughs> I'm just going to spend, just, just off prompt and just spend the entire last week just drawing this five-page comic which is a certain spoilerific scene from midnight mass i could i could try it probably wouldn't look very good but i could try <laughs> um so yeah no that that show was a like a, a sleeper revealed to me like maybe i've just been um not paying attention for the last few months but like i didn't even know it existed until leon brought it up um and then i also didn't realize until like yesterday that it's not a film that it's a it's a series yeah. in the yeah. same vein as like the haunting of hill house and the what was it the haunting Bly of Manor. Manor, which we've you know we've talked about in the past and we have like generally like broadly quite high on but like we have some mixed opinions on it but like i, I had no idea that this was a thing and i'm super excited to like once we finish talking i'm going to watch episode one and i'll catch yeah. up and then we can have a spoiler like, session like what what the fuck even is squid game right <laughs> i mean i actually did finish watching that a couple of days ago and it's really it's actually really good um, I, don't, I haven't really like formulated Sophie, any thoughts on it, but it's it's a worthy watch. <laughs> Sophie's been watching Squid Game. Um, it's 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 been like whiplash because it's been Squid Game and Gilmore Girls. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've not I, watched. I did, I've not watched any Squid Game yet. But it, like, it's it's worthy. I'd I'd say it's like yeah. it's it, it's not mind blowing I guess but it's like well well produced and it's a thrilling mystery yeah. and like drags you along and it harkens back to the stuff that we sort of liked coming up which is like you know battle royale and all of those kind of like yeah. manga manga esque um, horrifying situation dramas yeah. like, it's it's, it's mm -hmm. cool everyone else is out here discussing Squid Game loving Squid Game making memes about Squid Game 
making games about Squid Game. I saw a TikTok of someone who made a game of Squid Game. Yeah, I've seen like some a playable version that. of a playable mm. version of Squid Game. Um, and then like, here's me just like, but guys, check out Midnight Mass, and also The Lighthouse <laughs> is going to be on Netflix this week. You know? Yeah, we can we can do so. both. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of comics, though, like, um, again, being a bit out of the loop, but I did catch up on, well, like, to your your guys' chagrin, I haven't caught up on What If and a few other, like, comic-related TV shows, but I have caught up on Why the Last Man. I've watched episodes one to five on Disney+. Plus, um, and I think I was bracing myself for, like, terrible adaptation after... Um, after Lock and Key. But actually, this one is quite satisfying. I'm really enjoying where it goes. I'm really enjoying the drama. I think it's it's shot really beautifully. And, like, it's... You know, the acting is really good. It's got um, uh, Ben Schnetzer, I believe it is, in in the role of Y, and Ashley Romans, who I've never actually watched her in anything, but I know she gets praised for uh, Shameless and Nosferatu. And, like, they both inhabit their roles really well. And, like, it's, it's a really good show. And I'm looking forward to you guys watching mm. it so we can have a chat about it. Because I know that... Certainly for me and Leon, it's one of the first books that we spoke about together uh, when we first met. So, like, it'll be interesting to... I kind of yeah. want to go back and read the comics and, like, you know, finish off the show and see what you guys all think. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, I need to start watching that. I can just imagine you with your head between your knees, just, like, <laughs> braced for impact, making Anna press play. <laughs> Honestly, man, like, I, <laughs> I, I had such low expectations of this. Um, for no real reason. Like, I didn't watch any of the... Yeah, uh, trailers or previews or anything. I had no. I don't even. Re- I don't even really know who the uh, the showrunner is or any of the production stuff. Like mm-hmm. normally, I dive into that kind of stuff early, and I just didn't with this one. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's quite satisfyingly written and quite you know it it modernizes it in ways that I think are quite subtle and like um, sensitive. And yeah, but we can we can dive into that once you guys are on the same level on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I've heard um, good things, and I'm just waiting at the moment for season one to complete and then i'll roast through them all because there was a time when the three episodes are up and i'll like yeah i'm gonna start it now and i just like fell behind a bit and so i'm just gonna let all the episodes build up and Mm -hmm. then uh, watch it in a go but like i've had the same itch as well in the run-up to this where i was like oh it's been like ages maybe 15 years maybe possibly longer like maybe i should just uh, have another read of uh, why the last man it's been it's been a while yeah it's been a good 10 years for me as well um oh man i yeah I cannot recall the last time I looked at that comic. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I have a very distinct memory of how it ends. Like, I have this one panel in my mind that just, like, I can't let go of. And I'm wondering how they're going to handle that. I mean, whether it even lasts long enough to reach the end of the comic. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, there's so much TV to catch up on, man. Like, it's it, it's not surprising that we've all watched different things at different levels. Um, but I do think the next one that I want to actually like catch up to you guys so I can have a conversation is what if because I've only watched episodes one and two and I can't I don't, I don't think I'm really feeling it that much um, but I want to persist because I know that there's some like people have talked about standouts like some really shining gems of episodes and I want to know what that's about yeah um, but it's, there's also a thing there where I, I think there is value to the episodes that you don't like as well like yeah. there's I think there's such a, a meaty conversation with the episodes that don't work and why they don't work and mm. the episodes that work a bit better or like uh, near home runs and the difference between that and like the identity of the show. 
I think there's. I think I'm looking forward to you catching up just mm-hmm. so we can have those conversations. Because from the darkness, maybe where you might hear us talking about like, oh, th- uh, I really enjoyed this episode, but um, I don't. Cause we haven't really had the chance in our group chats or whatever to be to actually proper uh, discuss it. Because I, I think that um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of complicated feelings in this, especially going off mm. like what me and Greg have said to each other and DM. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, I still, I mean, this is like, it's not so, um, it's not, it's not so much of a secret, but like, um, it, it, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's the, <laughs> the, um, the, the Robert Kirkman episode sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna way past it. Like it, just to quickly touch on it, because like I haven't talked about it on cast, but the only thing that's kind of put me off so far is just the relentless pacing of the two episodes I've watched. Like it's, I think I talked to you guys about this in group chats where it's yeah, it's just it's it's nonstop. It's like the Marvel quippy thing in the movies turned up to eleven. Yeah, where like there's no room to breathe, and like it's not necessarily bad. Like I actually really enjoyed both the episodes. Um, but when I like in retrospect when I get a chance to sort of like breathe and think about yeah. what I just saw yeah um, but yeah and plus they're beautiful like they, they, they just it, look great and yeah one of those YouTube videos where you know like when they do like the B movie but it speeds up every time someone says B <laughs> yeah it, honestly like episode one really felt like that like they were they had to they didn't, they didn't realise looking forward how much time they had left in the episodes they had to cram in more and more and it already yeah. started off quite frantic but yeah, that's yeah. my only only criticism so far, I guess. Speeds up every time a character quips. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, yeah. that is a, a common criticism as well, especially of uh, mm. those early episodes, because you do get yeah. whiplash off them, especially when they're doing the basic, what if this film, but slightly different, yeah. which uh, one, one and two definitely are. Mm. There's a... I mean, um, I, oh, sorry, carry on. I was going to say, I think maybe it's in more contrast, because I've been watching a lot of stuff that, like, luxuriates in itself like i finished watching um uh, better call soul uh, or finished what up to episode or season five which is you know the, the most recent one released and like that is a show that really luxuriates in its pacing so going straight off of that into what if was a bit of whiplash hmm. we um well I, when i've been watching like i think we've discussed previously on this cast as well like i think the 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 pacing thing that you're talking about, Ray, is a symptom of it doing what a comic has more space and time to do. So, like, it's trying to do the what-if thing and it's trying to be the what-if one-shot. Um, like, the what-if one-shot story or whatever. Like, um, you would get, like, a what-if one-shot comic that would just be a single a single story and it would have, like, maybe 25 to 30 pages or something like that. Hmm. And you can achieve more in 25 to 30 pages than you can in half an hour of television. <laughs> I I genuinely feel that there's more space there. So that's kind of like, it's trying to take that and bring it to a satisfying conclusion and cram it into half an hour, which is probably like a, a, a hard ask. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see where you're coming yeah. from. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Are we going to, are we going to talk about some actual comics? Because I think we are. Go on then. Let's yeah. Go on. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's get into the reviews. So today's big reviews. Um, We've only got two today. In the red corner, we've got Sour Pickles, <laughs> um, which is a book by Cleo Azadora, and uh, it is published by Avery Hill Publishing. And um, 
it's going to be available later this month. So yeah, so this is Sour Pickles. So this is where we're starting today. This is a semi-autobiographical book. Um, and, uh, well, the, the press release puts it, a semi-autobiographical comic about struggling to finish the final year at a prestigious art school. Cleo Isadora's debut full-length work um, is a worthy successor to her claimed self-published zine. Is it vague in other dimensions? Um, so the blurb for this book is uh, as follows. So Pickles Yin is a final year student at a prestigious art school struggling to live up to her own expectations of how to navigate the transition from education to career. Surrounded by nepotism and wealthy peers, her friend Radish suggests an alternative method to achieve success that results in crumbling teeth and deteriorating mental health. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's surreal. Uh, it's warped, it's strange, it tracks a descent and a spiral into um, a level of substance abuse, like this weird spiral where the abuse begins due to an anxiety over the amount of work and the productivity that may be expected of you and being able to live up to expectations and being able to have that space to do what other people can do so freely because they have more money, and I'll come on to that later, but... Um, it gets to the point where the enhancement becomes a crutch and uh, the anxiety is fed by the substance and the mental illness um, in, in mental illness gets worse and, and things just generally get worse as, as it goes on. And yeah, it's, um, it's, it's also commentary on the privilege of being able to practice art that is afforded by wealth. Uh, because as it, as it mentions here in the blurb, there's a lot of, a lot here about nepotism and wealthy peers and things like that. Like, um, People who have the freedom to think and express themselves because they have the money already to support themselves. So the shackles of poverty and the need to be a wage slave in order to survive and how money might not be the answer to all problems and the root of all happiness, but it is definitely the answer to one problem and that answer is time and freedom. Because if you have time, uh, if you have money, um, and you already have enough money to survive, um, or you have you have a support network, then then time and freedom come as part of that because you are not shackled to a job as a wage slave so much, and you have time to practice your passion, and you have time to think, and you have energy to be inspired instead of giving like eight of your best a day to a job and then running on fumes for the rest of the day. Um, and you have no energy p to pursue your passion. So, um, how is it that saying goes like that the, the unions, it's like an old union, um, like, uh, slogan that, um, came about, was it during the industrial revolution? I can't remember the exact origin of it, but it's something like, um, eight hours of work, eight hours of rest and eight hours of what you will or something like that um when they divided the day up into eight hour chunks um but yeah it's it doesn't work not in today's world really doesn't um and uh, I, I think i found it is it uh, eight hours for work eight hours for rest and eight hours for what you will yeah i was nearly there <laughs> yeah you were super close <laughs> yeah yeah that's the one yeah that's what i was getting at um and um it just this this whole anxiousness around time and about, you know, how precious time becomes, um, 
and through the lens of someone working on an art degree and struggling to reconcile the feeling of not being good enough or not being up to scratch or, or not like not being able to keep up um, and then taking a substance to help deal with that. I mean, uh, what did you guys make of that? And uh, Ray, seeing as it's been a while since we've heard your voice, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, that was a really uh, succinctly put summary of the comic, I think. Although it does sort of betray how, like, or it, it, you didn't go into, like, how slice of life it is. Because, yeah, the, the undertone or, like, the subtext of it all, or not even subtext, it does go into all of the things you said. And it's quite heavy and it's, you know, uh, about her struggling to be an artist while being poor and struggling with the demands of what her degree, you know, requires from her. And then at the same time, also knowing that looking forward, it's not even going to benefit her that much. And like the, the ending of the story does touch on, touch on that very briefly. And it ends on quite a, a dour note. It's not a very uplifting story in totality, but like it is also quite a bouncy comic. It's got a lot of energy to it. And that might be like drug fueled energy, which is a lot yeah. of what we get to see in the, in, in it. Right. So like, it's, yeah. uh, they, they talk about, um, what is it? Uh, Pickles and Radish are the two like main characters that we follow through this story. And it's them deciding that they need something to give them the kick up the butt to like be productive and, you know, fulfill uh, what they want from this course that they're doing. And they, like they, they, they go on the dark web looking for like the pills from that film Lim- Limitless. And then they just end up buying Speed instead, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. Um, like it's funny, but it's also not funny because like that whole thing of... It, it, you talk about it being substance abuse, but it like it's, yeah. it's a really creep. It's not even that insidious, dark sort of like train spotting substance abuse. It's, it's like almost yeah, mm, like it becomes part say. of their daily routine. Like they they yeah. put it in their coffee and stuff just to get on with it and like become uh, like hyper productive. But then it, all it means is that they end yeah. up copying the same picture and over and over again. And like what value that brings to their work or whatever is is a really interesting exploration. It's like a saccharine train spotting or a kind of like a, a an episode of um, almost sunny in a way as well <laughs> yeah that's a really good t- i hadn't thought of that but yeah it does it brings to mind that sort of like you just imagine the title card flash up like um, pickles and radish by speed <laughs> it's by speed off the dark web yeah <laughs> like it really is um yeah and like yeah. W- one thing so a couple of things that i wanted to say like it's uh like you said up front that it's um semi self-biographical um i yeah. had the sense of that before i started and then the blurb does <clears throat> does clarify that at the end. Yeah. And like it self-labels itself as ugly multiple times. And I, I don't know, there's there's clearly something there about the, the author and then their impression of their own work and like how it's perceived or whatever. But I, I don't know, I wouldn't call this book ugly. I'd say like discordant maybe or like unharmonious because it's really obsessed with its own ugliness. And like, I don't, I don't know, I feel like it's obsessed with its perceived flaws and I, I want to, I don't know, I feel like I need to dive into that a little bit more because I, I actually think it's really uh, quite pretty in places. I think that... the composition of stuff is... Go on. Well, well, yeah, but also is that not part of the whole thing that that this book is getting at? Um, part of the, the underlying reasons why they start taking speed in the first place is because she wants to live up to an expectation um, and... Yeah, she absolutely. needs to create like, better art, no. but but this is her style and this is what she does. And I, I by the time this book is here, the 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 book being in that style is the author embracing that. But at the time, this might have been something she was trying to break out of. 
No, one hundred percent. I think you like nail on the head. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, like I was saying, like I think it is actually really pretty in places, and like I think I, I assume that the author found the value in their own work by actually putting it out into the world and like you know making the story, as you said, about dealing with trying trying to understand the value in your own work. I guess it's sort of cyclical, but like yeah. it is really pretty in places. Like I, I really love the. Um, uh, it's black and white and penned for the most uh, sorry uh, penciled for the most part and then like drawn over in, in ink and it has uh, occasionally like color swashes which um, broadly splash muted accents and gives them soft focus to the larger pages and I like how the first one you get of that is is quite even though it's some um, sort of nebulous coloring uh, it does still have a focus it's like one set of color on a person on a stage far in the the foreground in the background and then sort of like this pink hue in the background and then it immediately sort of discards that and it becomes this um i don't want to say messy but like random assortment of colors over the you know the frames where yeah. they're they're like diving into their drug fueled escapades or whatever and like i th- i think that's really effective i thought the way that all comes together is really nice i also like how we get a lot of uh, individual panels of like uh, you can see the the ink outlines of like a hand, but then you get to see like the the, um, the almost like Copic marker pen directly over it, and you can see the you know the overlap of those lines and everything. I like how almost uh, rough and indie it feels. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of sort of texture, even though I'm, I'm mm. reading it on a screen. There's like uh, a tactile feel to it. Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful books that I've read on a screen that doesn't feel like it's designed to have been read on a screen. Like, it's a really, yeah. it's a really good point, Leon, because, like, you can really is... get the sense that it's somebody's, like, pages scanned in, which is really mm. cool. Um, Leon, let's get some of your thoughts, actually. Yeah, I echo a lot of what you guys said. Uh, like, Rahul hit on a, a lot of points that um, rang true to me. I think that the... Um, there's... The slice of lifeness to it, which brings with it a lot of humor and like gallows humor and just just survival humor in some ways, as um, Pickles just navigates this uh, this world where the deck is kind of stacked, especially coming from like low income background and sort of feeling the dream erode before she's even graduated where um for like the final projects and stuff driven to the level where they're having to uh take like speed which i feel like lots of echoes there with like hyper study kids who would take like adhd uh, medicine Ritalin or whatever. Yeah, yeah so, mm. so they could like study for 18 hours a day and yeah. longer. And you definitely get um, that that feel here where it, it at first it feels like a cheat code, but like very quickly it becomes apparent the like knock-on effects of it. But I like how it's not um, don't do drugs, kids, uh, didactic. And it's, it's very much more matter-of-fact. Like there's so much matter-of-fact in here where, like, uh, a scene that particularly worked for me was uh, where there's a fire alarm going off and it's quite late. It's, it's quite later in the term and everyone's, <laughs> like, working in the... in the, yeah. in the Not library, but, like, the studio or whatever to get mm, stuff like... done. And um, 
the farm's going and no one's moving. Uh, they're commenting on it, but they're just they're still working because it's like they get this stuff done and like someone says, uh, I don't hear anyone screaming. And it's like, it's true. And I think like the problem is when you in establishments, and this is set in, set in London, but when you're in, in establishments which seem to have false alarms going off all the time, very quickly, like even without these big deadlines and stuff, very quickly, um, fire alarms just don't have any meaning on you. And you're like, <laughs> uh, don't make me get up. I'm about, I need to, about to send this email. And um, I've definitely been in that situation where it's like, I don't smell smoke. Uh, like, I don't hear any screaming or anything. So I think it's all right. Especially like, because in my old flat, the... Uh, the alarm used to go off so often. I like the first couple of times I would like we would congregate outside with the people and blah blah blah. And then after that time, never went outside again. It's like <laughs> it ain't a fire. It's definitely not a fire, and it never was. <laughs> so like, don't take that advice, people. But it's true. It was never a fire. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, there's so so many like little bits in there. Like, um, like I don't want to go through and like go too hard in describing scenes so I'll try to do them out of context but there's one where um, uh, the characters like um, I think someone's spoken to Pickles saying like um, oh, what's her friend's name again sorry Radish yeah Radish this is like Radish has been losing weight and stuff and then Pickles meets up with Radish mm-hmm. and says like people are worried about you they're saying you're looking away like no, nobody's saying I lost weight <laughs> and I just love that because <laughs> I did kind of think that I was like man that's gonna hurt um, well, so what I love most about this is how matter of fact it is about the drug itself as well like you know you hear people talk tell stories about when they've taken uppers and things like that and they're like oh i just danced and danced and then we did this and we were you know did this crazy night blah blah, blah. and all she wants to do is bleach the house yeah <laughs> like <laughs> well, well that's the funny thing like I, I i love the way how that is not like romanticized um it like you say it's very matter of fact where when they're on the drug they do get dogged but in a capricious way where while doing loads of work, it's like, Oh, you, you drew like 50 of the same image and they're slightly different. Or, um, you, you just decided to cut your hair randomly because your split ends were, were bugging you. And I, I do like how sort of nonchalant a lot of that, uh, that stuff is handled. So, um, mm. yeah, it just has this like down to earth, cool feeling where, um, you can, you fully, um, identify with the characters uh, and, mm. and sort of get on board even though, even when they're making bad decisions it doesn't seem like wanton and it doesn't even seem like a call for help or anything like that it is very much like oh let's try this oh let's try this and yeah this is kind of crap and uh, yeah I feel kind of awful but it's it, there's never um, these big sort of moments of like guys we need we need to quit the source or whatever instead mm-hmm. what it does is that it um you get impacted with like life events, which I won't go into. Um, but like that stuff is the, the punctured, like, yeah, this is real life. And, um, all of this, it, it has this like awful foreboding feel running throughout where it's like, what happens after, after uni or college for our American listeners? Like what happens after that? And, uh, is it just going to be what, Pickles assumes to be the case where it's like, is it just going to be a case where nepotism and wealth 
is going to trump the three, four years that they've put into this anyway? And how does one do art for a living only, like, and not have those safety nets? Yeah. Uh, but it, it never really... Like, like, characters have conversations about this, but it, it feels... The, the dialogue is done in a way where it's like how you would actually have the conversation about it. And it doesn't really feel like a, like it's preaching. It's just like this is how it is, and you you get a big feel of like a lot of the autobiographical elements throughout. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that just all that stuff goes hand in hand with what you guys have said about the art and like that that effect that you were talking about, where it's like the. It's almost like, you know, when you close your eyes and you like look at a light or something like that, or look at the sun mm. and then you open them and then you've got like weird color blotches. It's, or, it's, it's kind of like that where it's like mm. behind the surface, we're getting these like light blots or like ink blots. And I, I, I really like how it's done. Or like right before a migraine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like when you push your fingers into your eyes with your eyes mm. shut and, and you get all the, the patterns uh, and colors. And that's the thing. I think that works really well to effectively visually describe the the high of of the drug because it, it's not like uh, oh they're zooming and flying into into the clouds and stuff. Instead, it's mm. it's just heightening the moments each time, and not even in like a really intense way. Like in a like you've we've seen an example of that color before, and then it's just recontextualized. It's not like more blue and more pink than the other one no yeah it's um it's like twisted it's high anxiety it's abstract and it really does perfectly communicate the build uh, the mood and it kind of builds the fraught manic atmosphere as it goes through like the way the art's done and then like you get these like really abstract kind of like faces getting warped and things like that and it just it just looks so cool and it actually really adds to it and it's really expressionistic and and really cool in how how that works and then on top of that like underneath the colors that we've just been talking about like the parts that are colored to add they add to the hyper intensity with this like candy gradient wash with pastel blues and pink and it's like hyper wired color so i guess i wanted to say it looks wired (laughs) <laughs> is, what, is what I'm trying to say, um, which is which is kind of what we've been getting at, and like the heart of this whole thing is how hopeless and difficult it can be to be in the creative sector at times, and how privilege helps with that, um, and how in a society that we live in, the society that strangles creativity in service of productivity, and almost has no place for creativity, or when we do, we undervalue it, um. And like the ending towards the end of the book, um, there's a there's a really there's a, a bit that really resonated with me actually, <laughs> um, and I don't know I can't really because t- it's like going to be spoilers for the books for the story of the book, but there's like one particular page that sums that up massively. Um, I think the the final two pages are delightfully brutal, and I, yeah, <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just such a, a, a great sort of like eye into that and a way of looking at all of that. And it just has this, this really unique kind of like way of displaying that on the page and this really unique edge to it in how abstract it is and how, 
how it manages to actually push that that hypersensitive anxious feeling that exacerbated ocd and whatever else is coming with it that comes with taking the speed um, I do want to touch on a couple more things just before we cap off. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I found this really relatable in a lot of ways, despite not having gone to art school, despite not having ha- had a drug problem during my university years or anything. Like, can't relate to it on that way. But like the whole, um, just like the anxiety of trying to get your work done on time and like trying to figure out your own head before submitting work and stuff like that. That was too close to the bone <laughs> for me. Um, and then I also like. Th- thinking about like the financial struggles that you know are sort of ever present throughout the entire book one of the things that really um like gut punched me is i realized that there's a scene uh, where you see them like cutting up the lines of coke or speed or whatever um with a credit card and the credit card expires in 2014 and then they talk about having to buy bitcoin to buy drugs off the internet and like these people are worried about their financial future and if they were buying Bitcoin in 2014 and didn't keep it, like that's got to hurt in retrospect, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> like I've been there, <laughs> like not yeah. not holding on to Bitcoin at the wrong time or whatever. Like, yeah, that's got to sting. <laughs> um, and there's also one, just one last panel, which I thought you would have probably picked up on Greg is she's at a table full of people who are, you know, really comfortable about with their future. They know that they're going to go to a, uh, there's a, there's a girl there who's talking about she's going to go to the £25,000 per year art school. Like, her parents said yes to her. She's talking about it's, like, lavish um, degree that she's going to get. And it shows her drawing a picture of Sonic the Hedgehog, which I just yeah. thought was a funny juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, it, it just that's how it is, though, right? Money. Mm. Like I was saying at the beginning when I opened up talking about this book. That's what it comes down to. Money equals time. Time equals freedom. And opportunity. Yeah. 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 Um, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, Think there we go. It, guys. Think about it. Cap- yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Get angry about it. Throw a brick at it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that is, uh, Sour Pickles, and that is by Cleo Isadora, and that is published by Avery Hill Publishing. Um, that will be available in the UK on the 21st of October and the 26th of October in the US, so keep an eye out for that. Before um, you fully transition, I just wanted yep. to ask a, a random, like, off-the-cuff question. Yeah. This is, I can't remember which number, Avery Hill, that we've read now. Um, are you mm. starting to feel... Uh, Kind of not house style, but like definitely there's a there's a a type of idiosyncratic comic that the that this publishing house puts out, and I'm, I'm quite liking it. I I do like I like when there is not a theme, but you know what I mean when there's a, you, you can feel like a flavor of the mm. other type of stuff, and um, yeah, I I, I, I do like what they're putting out because a lot of it does seem very like very idiosyncratic very in, in like like swinging for the fences but like oftentimes quite personal or generally like smaller like smaller slight like slice of life or focused on a particular element but then blown out 
in in weird and wonderful ways. I, I'm quite quite liking what what they're putting out so far. Yeah, it's it's that that kind of zine culture almost, but then yeah, I get what by, you mean. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they um, I mean their Twitter bio, uh, Avery Hill helps aspiring creators reach their potential and is a home for those geniuses the mainstream has yet to recognise. Um, and I 100% agree with that. With the the Avery Hill books that we've been given to read, I totally agree. Um, 100%. Uh, yeah, it's just, this is, I think this is the point. Like, this is all stuff that's kind of like, um, asynchronous to what is the mainstream in, in like comics and, uh, sequential art right now. Like if you look at some of the more kind of like high profile stuff that we end up reading on here and you compare it to, to what we're getting from Avery Hill, it's, 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 a asynchronous to that and it's also it's it's um it has a lot of heart most of the time it's a little bit autobiographical maybe there's a lot more of the artist in there than there is in some of the higher profile stuff that we get actually hmm. and um and i think i think that definitely shows and i think it is it is I think I think it is it is a really really cool little publishing house, and I think you should check out all of their stuff. To be fair, because it's all great, and that's why that's why we we always talk about it when we get it because it's always so good. But like, um, yeah, I mean, this one particular um, like struck a chord with me, as you could probably tell from the way I talked about it. Um, and I managed to find something in each and every one that kind of really strikes a chord with me so far. So yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. Um, so yeah, uh, that is, um, Sour Pickles. And like I was saying, it's available, um, for pre-order now, you can go to, uh, averyhillpublishing.bigcartel.com, uh, and you can check it out there and you can pre-order it. And, uh, 21st of October, UK, 26th of October, USA. Last book, guys. Second and last book. So was Sour Pickles the blue corner or the red corner? I can't remember. Blue and pink corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the uh, in the jet black corner at the edge of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because then the next book would be the jet black and golden shimmering, right? Well, well, I'm I'm putting sensor in the jet black corner at the edge of the universe. Right, right, that makes yeah, sense. So, <laughs> in the jet black corner at the far edge of the universe, sensor by Junji Ito. Um, so this is like an absolute departure from the usual Junji Ito fare. That's the first thing I noticed off the top. Like most Junji stuff I read or have read tends to focus heavily on a physical body horror element with a cosmic twist. Um, there's some kind of, there's usually some kind of like cosmic machination in there, but it's not usually as pronounced. This, like, because you had Remina, which was like super, super Lovecraftian. Um, we didn't talk about Remina actually on the show. Uh, we should get around to discussing that because I did read it and it is absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, and that is about a planet-eating planet. And that that really does, like... When you're reading it, if you've ever played um, Majora's Mask, you will get PTSD. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's... Um, it kind of it kind of has like this real kind of like cosmic horror Lovecraft thing going for it because it but it, it's physical it's a physical object it's in the physical realm, it is a a physical heavenly body coming into contact to consume another heavenly body, it's not abstract it's not 
ethereal. It's not. It's not what this is. It's not what sensor is. Um, and sensor just goes somewhere else entirely, and it's like a real change for like what I know Junji Ito to be, um, as far as his work goes. And I'm all for it, man. Like this, this kind of this new brand of. I don't want to call it cosmic horror. I almost. I almost think it's something else. Um, like, astral horror, maybe? I can see that. Um, yeah, but, like, where it goes is, is is pretty cool, actually. Like, it gets into some really, really, really cool... It's really cool realms. Um, so, censored by Junji Ito. If I read you the, uh, the blurb, first of all. So, this book... Um, I got my copy about a week ago, but... According to the Viz website, it's been available since August. Um, and I I actually had it pre-ordered, but mine didn't arrive until about a week ago. So go figure, maybe it sold out, maybe, maybe it got delayed, I don't know. Um, but a woman walks alone at the foot of Mount Sengoku. A man appears saying he's been waiting for her and invites her to a nearby village. Surprisingly, the village is covered in hair-like volcanic glass fibres. All of it shines a bright gold at night when the villagers perform their custom of gazing up at the starry sky. Countless unidentified flying objects come raining down on them. The opening act acts for the terror about to occur. So yeah, it's um, it starts off um, this this whole line about volcanic hair, which is is an odd thing in and of itself. Like if you've ever looked at volcanic uh, volcanic hair on uh, on the internet, if you've ever looked it up in a in a book or whatever, it's um it's like filaments of like glass that looks like hair and it's it's really weird to look at. Um and uh it's just there's some great examples if you Google volcanic hair you get some really cool pictures. But it's a really, really, really odd phenomenon. But it's it's something that is natural and part of the natural world. And then in true Junji Ito style, he takes that and extrapolates it and, and builds upon it and turns it into something entirely different and makes it a small piece in a huge jigsaw puzzle of abject existential terror. <laughs> <laughs> which which he does so well with everything like taking taking something as simple as a spiral like oh spirals are cool and then we end up with a book like Uzumaki <laughs> you know it's just like it's just how it is um so yeah this this veers into this is astral horror i'm going to call it astral horror i'm i'm going with that term because it veers into into concepts explored in like the religion theosophy it's like it gets into into like um meditation and the um religious cosmology and like esoteric buddhism and all that kind of stuff and kind of like psychic ability and things like that it gets into all this stuff um and uh, it, it talks about something called the Akashic Records, which I found quite interesting. So a little bit about what that is. It's a compendium or a library of all universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intents to have ever occurred. Um, past, present, and future of all life forms. Uh, that's alien. That's all entities in, in, in everything. That's, that's animals. That's bats. That's dogs. That's cats. That's alligators. That's axolotls. That's everything. <laughs> like everything <laughs> right not just humans right 
And apparently this is encoded in a non-physical plane called the mental plane. And apparently you can access it through reaching um, certain levels of enlightenment and meditating and things like that. Um, and uh, there's a, a theosophy... The, I think she kind of like, she is the kind of root of theosophy. She kind of like started the whole thing, the whole movement. Um, I think uh, H.P. Blavatsky, um, she introduced the term um, Akasha from the Sanskrit to theosophy. So it's a Sanskrit term. Um, and um, when she described the the Akashic records, she described them as tablets of astral light, which are indestructible. And, um, the concept and the belief kind of evolved from there. And it was like kind of built upon by other people that were in the kind of like theosophy occult world around about them. We're talking like the 1800s, turn of the century kind of time. Uh, maybe even before that, actually, um, better get my dates right. hadn't I? Yeah, we're talking, we're talking the late 18, 1800s. Um, and um, yeah, Blavatsky was, uh, yeah, she died in 1891. So around the turn of the century, yeah. So around that kind of time. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's all weird stuff that veers off into the, uh, into the occult world and into this kind of like whole exploration of astral planes and everything else. And um, a lot of white people taking a lot of things from the East and, trying to make them their own thing <laughs> oh that classic yeah because all of this all of this all of this comes from buddhism right all of it like all of this is born in a fascination with buddhism that white travelers had and then they brought that shit back with them and messed around with it like that's that's literally yeah, it the wikipedia page for it does have two white dudes at the top of it of course it does uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah like like all of this like they took a sanskrit word and then they used it and and ah yeah but it's it's based that's basically what it is that's what theosophy is really at the root of it isn't it but like um yeah so that's where this book goes so that's a primer for the kind of like weird heady shit junji is getting you knee deep in (laughs) um and yeah, there's like this this whole thing about clairvoyance and psychic ability. And it's kind of cool to see this stuff explored by Ito in his trademark style. Um, this like weird, uneasy, horrifying. And actually, this is surprisingly hopeful for a Junji book as well. Mm, it has like a yeah. kind of like a surprisingly hopeful through line and ending. It doesn't end in the usual way with everything just going to complete shite. Um <laughs> It's the usual G- G- uh, Ito art that basically just knocks it out of the park and um, everything from giant brain-like masses falling from the sky to suicide bugs to humans becoming sensory clouds made up of neurons <laughs> and out-of-body astral horror experiences. And it's just, it's just very, it's all very cool concepts to me. So all three of us read this. So Ray, I mean, do you want to give us some thoughts on this now? <laughs> as ever greg you have summed it up so well like i don't i don't really know what to add to that like i think you touched on most of the points that i wanted to make like one thing okay so one thing i i love these kind of stories because um, like the way it, hang on. so the way it starts is almost like it's an unspoken twilight zone mystery and like the first few like issues i guess of the book like the first few chapters sort of leave you with this sense of 
like delicious dissatisfaction with the world like the world that it's building up and like it's left you with just enough knowledge to know that you're just a human who's like living on a planet and it, that planet is on the pinhead of an entire universe kind of thing like it really sells that idea of yearning for more truth after a glimpse behind the veil really effectively and yeah. like I, I really love these stories of people just getting a hint of eldritch power because that's where this begins like it's set in a town or it begins in a town where uh, it's covered in this um angel's angel's hair like the volcanic strands and there's some power to this uh, to this entity and like there are people living in this village sort of coexisting with it relatively peacefully and are content to just use it as like a mild drug to connect with the universe and like you know holistically engage with the sky and the you know things beyond their body and the the planet they live on and then suddenly someone arrives to like corrupt this fine balancing act that they didn't even realize they were kind of doing and then tips the scales too far and then it sets the whole thing in motion and then I think it goes from that Twilight Zone mystery into the like uh, astral horror that you described and like I I think it is a really interesting turn for Junji Ito because normally I find as much as I, I do I love his work like I genuinely love it and I love the concepts and I love the uh, the artwork and I love the way that it sells this horror a lot of the time because it's it's riding that line between being funny or sort of like tongue-in-cheek while also being horrific i find that some of it comes across as like like stilted some of the dialogue can be really bad or can be really like blunt um and a little bit almost like tacky like the way that things are being expressed like if he just said less they they'd be more horrific but that's not the tone he's going for i guess whereas in this one i feel like he especially towards the latter half like he hits that tone really really well and like it, it is quite a hopeful book and I like the way that it rides that line of being um, like this as you say astral horror but then finding a way to like connect to, to the humanity behind some of these ideas um, yeah I don't know Leon well, what are your thoughts on it yeah I feel a lot of the same things I think that in like it has a lot of like the regular Junji Ito hallmarks you can get, like the really good screaming faces hmm. and people like willed or drawn to something and then being pulled in deeper and deeper. And like in this, it has literal galaxy brain. <laughs> uh, and like, I really like the journey that you go on with this. And I think that hmm. the, the chapter chaptering is done really well as you are pulled deeper and deeper into this... I, I, was, I, was, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I was almost going to go. I started to meditate. But um, my <laughs> eyes started to, to, to enlarge. Um, but, like, yeah, it, I, I think that it's really effective in just pulling you through. And instead of it being too hyper-focused on, say, the mystery, which... I mean, it does have it does have mystery in there as you as you go through, and especially when we follow the the reporter character. But but I I think it manages to really effectively display this weird intangible feeling that that you get with it, that you get with connecting with the universe's mind palace. 
it has mm. this like th- those each frame where that happens is blissful and horrific at the same time and are you, are you saying leon that you have access to the akashic records no definitely not <laughs> you, you said that weird feeling you get when you access the universe's mind palace is like what leon's leon's found the akashic records well i, I was on it on a vpn so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um like yeah junji is so effective uh at doing that thing where it's bliss and horrific at the same time or horrific and hilarious at the same time and there are just like panels or just just images because as be as he's used before like hair is creepy so starting off with this very like like nature's hair basically and having it start off as this this really earthy type thing it's it's very like of this earth and and that's like the jumping point feels like so so apt for for what it feels like he's doing here and and like you guys say it it, it's wildly like hopeful (laughs) as you go through and i I kind of like how because you know like some of the the past stories you've read sometimes they can read a bit cynical (laughs) (laughs) or or a bit Uh like humanity yeah they suck and it's like it's true but like i i do like when a bit more nuance is added to that and we're able to get in a few characters heads and understand them and the world they inhabit and all of that is followed through with like sort of classic uh junji ito art i really like all the character designs. I think the facial expressions are always just knocked out of the park. I think that the, um, like I really like the where I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like, like loads of dots and or like smudges for like backgrounds. Stippling. It's like dot matrix type. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it feels more like random. Mm. Uh, but yeah, like all of that stuff is, is, really i don't know it just it's really good at conveying a mood as well because that's the thing that you can get with like creepy books sometimes where it's like it's weird or like some shocking thing happens but you don't really or at least for me like i need the atmosphere i need mood i need dread but i also like that plane in between dread where it's like what did that really happen and like what what are the implications of that and even just little bits of like some of the side characters who get interacted with and they're barely there for a few pages but you um i know you get into their head so much into their lives and you're like wow that's super tragic like uh the stuff to do with the the insects and the bugs like that that stuff itself could be a whole story but in this, it is just this part of the main thing, like building up for for the main hole. But uh, like the girl, I can't remember. Her, is it Rie, who's from like Tokyo, and she's she's moved out to the the, the cliff edge place mm-hmm. uh, after uh, like st- stuff in her past with her relationship. Like that that stuff's done really well, and I like how they just sort of move on after that's done. Like 
you just you dip in and 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 then dip out. It kind of reminds me of some of the uh, Tommy A stories where, like, some of these supporting characters did have quite like a lasting impact because you're like, well, this their life, their their world is it's interesting, and, and some of those could be like a story in themselves. I just noticed actually, like. Because I'm looking at some of my favorite pages, and my favorite pages are where that guy's meditating, and then he he just had his sensory organs just come out of his face like his <laughs> character. Like I I found I, I I laughed out loud at that. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I thought that page was hilarious. Um, but then I mean, that, there's that, a that whole sorry go on, go on. <laughs> that whole thing's hilarious. But then there's a there's a bit where um, there's a picture of Kyoko Bakura, and she's doing she's almost doing the as above so below. Mm, yeah. like with her hands um and i just noticed that now and i just thought i just think it's really cool how he's managed to weave all that all of that into this and, and make make a coherent horror tale out of all this kind of like esoteric stuff um and i love i just love like this these pages of this guy's sensory organs just going nuts and just coming out of his face <laughs> i think that's just brilliant what were you gonna say anyway ray sorry yeah, it was on that same um, sequence, actually, because, like, again, I don't want to give away too much, but, like, that's one of the first points in the story, I think, where he starts revealing what I think is, like, the overarching theme or, like, the the like the like sincere philosophy that you don't normally find in a Junjito book, I think. Like, this one has a quite sincere and subtle theme that it's going for. It's about, like, what the universe is and what it requires to give things meaning. And, like, the book is called... Um, senses so it's like it's about the senses that the body can you know can sense like what what different things can the body interpret and like this idea of i think this is the, i only read this like a few hours ago actually so this is the kind of thing that you could write essays about and i just haven't had enough time to formulate in my head but there's there's something there about like a fear of technology versus communing with the earth or communing with the universe and the you know the ether because there's this stuff about like the it, uh, there's a cloud in the sky that is being formed because this group of people are trying to commune, but commune in the wrong way with the world to like to in a, in a sort of greedy sort of knowledge grabbing way. Mm. And he, there's a very quick comment about like this is better than the digital cloud. Like the digital cloud can never contain this much information or whatever. And then there's also a bit later on where there's like a network of of mirrors. And like what that represents, like spreading across Japan and spreading across the world and eventually into the universe. And like these these fearful wrong ways of using like this astral techno quote unquote technology of like the, the, the golden hair. And like I thought that was interesting. I, I kind of want to mm. dive into that a bit deeper at some other point because I don't yeah. I think that's as far as I've got. But like it is really interesting. Like there's something bigger going on there. And he yeah. plays it in a way that is relatively like with a relatively deft touch than he normally does in his other books i think so i i can see myself coming back to this more than i do with some of his other works totally i mean is that network of mirrors uh not just social media i mean yeah i think that's that's the point i was yeah being able to being able to see everyone all of the time like is that Mm. not just facebook unless it's down (laughs) i feel like i feel like that's just a part of what it's saying like this interconnected um like fiber optic network that spreads across japan and like has all these other implications of what it does to the people and like why it's motivating them and how and stuff like yeah it's it's really interesting 
yeah he plays with some really cool stuff in this book and uh, mm. I, I really think everyone should read it and i'd love to do like a proper deep one on this and remina like back to back like a double feature yeah i was gonna say it feels uh a bit weird to be talking about junji ito without the good doctor being in session yeah yeah mm. we should we should probably get vicky back on at some point and discuss this and remina if she's game but yeah definitely but uh, uh before we move on I'd, one of there's there's a panel sort of early-ish on maybe a quarter in or something that just cracks me up because the what it describes is so perfect for this book and beyond but where it where it's about um it's when the reporter is talking to the guy who's from the village i'll say that to keep it as vague as possible um and the the line he's like voiceovering and he's like she appeared to be in that state of innocence of the instant a person wakes up right before merciless reality comes flooding back to you. <laughs> and like, like, it's so true as like a statement of like when you first get up, but also the idea of like being in that trance for more than like a split second, like just being in that state. Oh like, my God. It sounds incredible. <laughs> Don't tease me, Leon. Don't tease me. <laughs> I mean, like, if I I would choose that over oblivion every time, and <laughs> I, <laughs> and I know that's um I know I know that like you guys you guys know me and you guys know that's weird coming from me, but I would definitely choose that <laughs> over oblivion every time. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's um it's something strange. It's it's full of dreads existential dread it's gorgeously bleak and horrifying are full of detail like abominable detail like extrapolations of things that are normally natural and harmless and and this is what junji does best i think in his work is he takes something innocuous and he turns it into something something nuts or makes it part of something larger that is actually you know incomprehensibly horrifying and 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 terrifying and that's that's what i tend to love the most about his work um and yeah i i fully recommend that you go and and pick this book up because uh it's it's a really really good read it's a a good it's a good comic it's it's, i think i to be honest it's my favorite you know what i think it's my favorite junji book like because it was uzumaki but then i think i actually like this better now I don't know about you guys. It's too early for me to say. Mm. I mean, like this is this is for me. It's kind of just edging above Uzumaki for the top spot. But yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that wraps us up, doesn't it? We're over and done with. So that was Censor uh, by Junji Ito. That is available now anywhere where good comics are sold. Go to your LCS and ask for it if they have a manga section. Um, and uh, we are going to close you out so that has been ace comicals episode 120 you can find the ace comicic records at www.acecomicals.com um and that is pretty much a record of everything we've ever done said felt (laughs) etc as part of ace comicals so go check that out um you can find us on twitter under at ace comicals you can find us on um you can you can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us anywhere 
under Ace Comicals, just look for it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Interact with us, at us, DM us, talk to us about comics. Have anything to say about what we've discussed today? Ask us, you know, or even better, join in. Give give us your uh, your two cents, add your two cents to the conversation. Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And Ray, where can we find you? You can commune with me on the psychic hellscape known as Twitter on <laughs> at Monke, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. <laughs> and uh, that has been Ace Comicals. Over and out. <laughs>